Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. One of the wisest, wealthiest, and weirdest men to ever live. I mean, this is going to be a trip. Uh, My goodness, this verse in 1 Kings really kind of sums it all up. And this will be our theme verse for the series. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom, wow, than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world saw audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. And uh, this is a man we do well to study, an incredible figure in history and in the nation of Israel. Uh, let's just go through some basic facts about Solomon. You ready for uh, just, uh, just some history about Solomon? You guys ready for this series? Somebody say yes. Okay, great. He was the third king over Israel. His father, David, was an incredible man, an incredible king, uh, probably most known for uh, the episode of David and Goliath. And uh, they're going to be talking about David and Goliath at the student service tonight. So we invite you back tonight. That's kind of cool. But then uh, David wrote much of the book of Psalms. He's known for that. Solomon's mother was Bathsheba with whom David had an adulterous affair. And there was a baby produced from that affair uh, that ended up passing away. And to cover up the affair, David had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. Uh, so a lot of major problems and dysfunction in Solomon's family. Come on, if you thought your family was dysfunctional, you came to the right place for some encouragement because it's nothing's going to top some of the stuff we're about to get into. But a lot of controversy surrounding who Solomon was uh, because of who his mom uh, was and all of those incidents. And he was about 20 years old when he took over the kingdom He was immediately saddled with one of the largest construction projects in human history, the building of the first temple in Jerusalem. In today's money, it would have cost $150 billion, so that's wow. Okay, all right, but he also uh, built a palace in Jerusalem, fortified the city walls. He really changed the landscape of the nation of Israel Uh, because they had been shepherds for most of their history as people with this land. And Solomon established all kinds of trade relations and treaties and had a shipping fleet and uh, brought incredible wealth uh, to the nation of Israel. He established a formal taxation plan with 12 different provinces that um, would uh, provide for the palace and He put systems and structures in place that the nation had not had before he came. And of course, he was filled with wisdom. He wrote three books of the Bible, the book of Proverbs, book of Ecclesiastes, and then the spicy book of Song of Solomon. And the Bible also depicts his failures, uh, like marrying 700 different women at one time, on top of that having 300 concubines. I don't know about you, but one woman is more than I can handle, so yes. Uh, But these divisions in his heart uh, eventually led to uh, his life into a place of idolatry 
and left behind a broken kingdom. Uh, But at his height, he was wise, uh, and he didn't start that way. Uh, So today we'll study 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 22, and this is David passing the kingdom to Solomon. He introduces him as, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Uh, Now this introduction was quite a statement because it's just a weird announcement. Here's your next leader. He's young and inexperienced. And young, this word uh, meaning actually he's untested. And that's the title of today's message, the untested king. And then this word inexperienced was the same word uh, that you would use to reference a type of cattle you wanted to kill if you wanted a really good steak. Because the word means soft, tender, and weak. And so David is saying to the nation of Israel, hey nation, here's your next leader. He's about 20. He's untested. He's never had to make a difficult decision in his life. He's never been in a leadership role, and he's soft. And David is announcing him as untested, uh, but we'll see that there's a reason for it, uh, because he's supposed to build God's temple of great magnificence. And I think we can learn a lot from this, because God has a plan for us. Yet, I find a lot of us identify with Solomon's weakness, that we're stepping into the next season of our life or what God has for us. And we would say, I I feel a little untested for this. I don't know if I have what it takes or I can't seem to get anything right. We'll say, maybe I'm too sinful or I'm too struggling or I'm too simple or I don't have the right tools. And and we feel like our weakness is going to bring us down and It's our weakness that's going to take us out. But let me remind you that it's actually out of our weakness, if you're taking notes, that God builds our greatness. Now, I'm not going to pretend today uh, that any of us are building a temple in Jerusalem or that we're a king over a nation. But God does have a calling on our life. And he has given us people with whom we have influence And he's given us opportunities. And in our weakness, God can be strong. And it's actually through our weakness that God can be glorified. Because the Christian is not one who says, you know, I'm just growing to be more competent and strong with every passing day. No, 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 no. The Christian is one who says, I'm becoming increasingly aware of how weak and incompetent I really am but how strong and competent Jesus was and continues to be for me through his Holy Spirit thank you amen to that yes because many of us feel like man my Christian journey is about me coming back and me being strong and me being competent when it's reality Jesus is the one who is competent and strong for us and there are things he's called us to grow in and things he's called us to do but it's a lifetime journey of seeing God's grace be sufficient for us in the midst of our weakness 
Uh, So let's talk about some of the principles that helped Solomon in the midst of his weakness as David is imparting this to him. So this is good. Today's going to be four principles. If you want God glorified in your weakness, it's these four things. We find them in the life of Solomon as we see God using his weakness uh, for greatness and turning into a great story. Are you, are you ready? Here we go. The uh, first one is David is imparting to him the building of the temple, the nation of Israel. The first principle we see is clarity. Clarity. You have to have clarity about what it is you're called to do. And David is delivering this clarity, this vision to Solomon. Again, the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed too much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. So David's saying, "Uh, Solomon, what you're going to get to do, I actually, I wanted to do that, but uh, my hands are too dirty. I've been to too many wars. I've killed too many people. But you will have a son, this is God speaking to David, who will be a man of peace and rest. His name will be Solomon. That's what the name Solomon means. It means peace. He is the one who will build a house for my name. So Solomon is learning about this prophecy David had before Solomon was even born. Solomon, you were given as a gift, as a man who would be a leader of the next of this nation. And it's your job to build the temple. He's saying, God has told me about your life. Like this is already made up for you. And he's given Solomon incredible clarity, this vision. And Solomon understood the need for clarity and for vision. He himself would write in Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we see that. Everything great in life starts with a vision. It starts with clarity. Like m- most people who are physically fit, they have a lot of clarity about that, how that happened. They, they're not going to tell you they just stumbled into it. There's a clear vision of how it happened. Parents of well-behaved kids have a lot of clarity about how that happened. People who are debt-free have a lot of clarity about how that happened. People who quit smoking or drinking, they have a lot of clarity. They have a vision. They have a lot of clarity about how that happened. Meaning most people will tell you, I don't know how it happened. It's just one day I woke up and I didn't need a cigarette anymore. Like, it's rarely the story. I don't know how it happened. My kids just came out well-behaved. I don't know how, how that happened. No, you ask someone, like, how did this happen? And, man, it's like you poked a bear. How, how did you get debt-free? And, man, they're coming at you with principles and sayings and all this stuff and lightning bolts in their eyes. And it's like, okay, settle down. It's just asking a question. But they've got clarity. They've got vision. They know how it happened. And for many of us, we have ideas, but no clarity. But it takes clarity. It takes vision to have a strong marriage, to be closer to God, to become a kinder person, to respond well, to excel at our jobs, to have a great family. 
But clarity begins even earlier than that. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And I love this because if you're in a dark season today, if you're in a dark place, I pray you'd receive this today, that the plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I want you to know God has a plan for your life, plans to give you a hope and a future. The problem is that oftentimes we interpret messages like this through the lens of Hollywood. And we have been led to believe this principle, but remove the God aspect. And so when we hear about a vision for our life, our natural tendency is to go, well, what do I want to do? Because the world has told us that deep within our heart, and if we'll just be true to ourselves, that deep within there, we'll find our purpose. If we'll be honest with our feelings, if we'll pursue whatever our heart tells us, that that's the highest good, that we'll reach happiness. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says, for I know the plans I have for you declares who? The Lord. The Lord. Not my plans. God plans. And we can't remove the God part from this. The world says, do what you desire. That's not clarity. Clarity comes from your creator. Because at the end of the day, we are not using God to accomplish our plan. God is using us to accomplish his plan. But many of us see ourselves as the main character of our own story. And we fall and pray to a gospel that says, God exists to make my dreams come true. And you may even falsely hear, if I press into God, he'll do good things for me. He'll make all my dreams come true. And he's obligated to keep me from trouble or calamity. No, God can do immeasurably more than your dream when you come to a place that you say, I don't, that God doesn't exist for me, but I exist for God. That's the gospel. But thinking that God exists to make all my dreams come true, that's not the gospel. And you'll end up drifting away from the Lord when your life faces trouble or calamity, but it's not even the real God you drifted away from because he never promised that. Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, don't embrace yourself. Don't be true to yourself. Don't follow your heart. Deny your heart. Deny yourself. Die to yourself. If you want to have clarity in life, don't look within yourself. Look to your creator. Let's submit to him. Follow him. And Solomon knew this early on. He got it right. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Praise God we can do this because my understanding falls short sometimes of why people do the things they do, why God is doing the things that he's doing. But in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do you want clarity for life? You want God's will for your life? The life he created you to live. You have to get to a place where you settle in your heart that God has the right to be God because we can't accomplish much as individuals, as families, as a church until you and I come to a place where we say that God's 
right and true, and God's word is right and true, yesterday, today, and forever. And when God has an opinion, we'll submit to it. Because if we really want God's plan for our life, and we want clarity for our life, we've got to submit to, the, submit to him. And here's the thing. Submission isn't submission <laughs> until you actually have to submit. You know how when you meet a new person and you kind of hit it off and, and you're friends, but you're not really friends yet because you haven't had a disagreement and you don't really know enough about each other. So what do you do? You're just hanging out. What makes you guys friends? You become friends the moment you realize like, oh, whoa, oh, I didn't know you thought that way about it. Oh, I didn't know we disagreed on this. Oh, I didn't know you did this pet peeve of mine and or maybe you even have a fight but sometimes a fight and friendships have you ever noticed how sometimes it can bond a friendship like no other because before you had the disagreement or before the person said something you didn't like you weren't that wasn't real friendship you were just hanging out with God a lot of times we think we're submitting and surrendering and following and worshiping when all we're really doing is just hanging out because we've agreed on everything so far. But the moment that God says something we don't like and we have to submit, we choose to say, your opinion, God, I'll go with that. I'm going to follow you because God's going to come and he's going to say, die to self or don't be unequally yoked or Come on, you need to, to move out or you need to get married or you need to cut that relationship off or confess that sin or you're going to need to forgive that person or you're going to need to reconcile this relationship. It's stuff that we don't want to hear that naturally we don't want to do, but all of, a, all of a sudden now it's submission. Now it's trust. Now it's obedience. Now it's a relationship. Because I'm going to follow what God has called me to do in hopes of a straight path. And Solomon is receiving clarity from his father. And Solomon could have said, uh, Dad, actually, I've got a better plan. I looked within my heart and I don't feel like building a temple. But he would not be the man God called him to be. And Solomon submits to the clarity. And he teaches us, in all your ways, submit to him. And if we're going to, friend, if you're going to overcome your weakness and have God be glorified in the weakness, it comes through submitting to the clarity that God gives you. Number two, we've got to have teachability. Not only do we have clarity for the race we've been called to run, we have to be teachable in the process. Okay, stick with me today. This is pretty amazing. What we see, I, I, I loved this, studying this week. In 1 Chronicles 22, David says to Solomon, may the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. So David has given him clarity of what to do and he goes, here's the problem. You don't know how to do it. And you're gonna have to ask God and pray for God to give you wisdom to which Solomon may have been tempted to say, dad, Thanks for the kingdom. I appreciate all the money to build the temple and I can appreciate that you received this prophecy 
and your encouragement that I'm the man. But let's be honest, that's where this conversation should, be stop, should stop. I don't know if you're the one to be telling me about discretion and understanding and how to lead my life and live my life because let's be honest, by your own admission, you killed too many people to be the one to build the temple. And if you don't agree with me, why don't we just ask mom's first husband? So I appreciate all you did, dad, but you're not exactly perfect, so I don't think you should be telling me how to live my life. And there's a lot of that in our day, isn't there? There's so much of that in us. And in the information age, we have more and more information at a younger and younger age, but it's just that, it's information. We have access to what we believe is wisdom. It's not wisdom. It's just information until it's been tested. And Solomon could have said all those things, but instead he was teachable. He understood he could learn a lot from his dad's failings. And he could learn a lot from the wisdom his dad had gained through a repentant, teachable heart. And this is the thing about teachability. You're never going to have a perfect teacher because we're all broken. And if you never humble yourself to learn from a broken person, you'll never learn because we're all imperfect. If you never humble yourself to be teachable, every person you come across is either going to be too old to teach you something or too young to teach you something or, or too broken or does these things. Every, every father, every person in this room is broken. Is a sinful person. And we can give our dad the finger and say, well, dad, who are you to teach me about this and do this? But we're the ones that miss out because we don't learn. Yet we know that Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meetings and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. What a big test. Can you go back to that, Jamie? What an amazing test. God is putting one of the biggest tests Solomon will have in his life of appearing to him and saying, okay, man, whatever you want. I love what Solomon says and what he does. Let's go to the next one. Solomon answered, God you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in this place. I, I love this answer because he's almost like putting it back on him. What a great perspective. I didn't earn this position. You gave it to me. I know I'm untested, but I can't do anything about that. I am who I am, and you're the one who made me king. And so verse 10, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And we know Solomon is teachable because the moment he has the opportunity to receive something from God, he asks for the very thing his father told him he needed. I need wisdom and knowledge because my dad is right. I don't have what it takes to lead a nation and do such a thing. God, would you be strong where I am weak? And we need this principle of humility and teachability. Obviously, you are teachable. You're here. You're taking notes. You're into this. Way to go. But we all need a posture from our young to our old and everyone in between. A posture that says, I'm willing to learn from those around me. I'm willing to learn 
from those who are wise and ultimately I'm willing to learn from God. And I love this definition of teachability. Is teachability is the ability to learn <laughs> what you think you already know. And so often we think we have it all figured out. But if we're going to make it in the journey God has for us, we've got to be willing to set that aside. And an open heart that says, I need clarity, I need teachability. And number three, I love this word, tenacity. Solomon has a lot of reasons to be afraid or discouraged. He's young, he's never led anyone. Big project on his hands. Don't look down on him, it's not his fault. He's in this situation. He didn't create the family dynamics to be what they were. He didn't build, he didn't ask to build a temple or to be king yet. These things are put upon him. And you have things that are put upon you that you didn't ask for in your life situations or circumstances that were handed down and maybe things genetically that brought to you through your family or maybe a financial situation you didn't ask for or a marital situation you didn't ask for your kid to make that decision and bottom line is there are a lot of problems that we face in life that we didn't ask for and we need a source and a well of encouragement deeper than us so David told him, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or discouraged. For 22 years, Solomon was in construction. It was a big task. There were a lot of things to be afraid of, a lot of opportunities for discouragement. And David told him to be strong and courageous. This word strong, uh, also speaking to, uh, also speaking, uh, to that you're going to have to have some urgency And this idea of courageous saying that you're going to need to be bold. To have a sense of urgency and take some risks. Because if you ever submit to God and then follow him, there will be resistance. There's going to be times where you want to give up and cash in. Because if it were easy, everybody would do it. Everybody would be changing their family and changing their community. But very few do because you have to have a tenacious spirit to be strong in the face of resistance. Because the fact is, if you try for something, if you, if you get a fresh vision for your health or for your finances or for a relationship or for your life, and you go out and you step out and try to do it, it's very likely you're not going to reach 100% of the goal your first time out. And you're gonna face some criticism And friend, let me tell you who the biggest critic is going to be. You. And those voices are going to come from the inside of, I knew I didn't have what it took. I tried to quit this addiction again, and I couldn't make it, and I couldn't do it. And there's going to be so many voices, especially when you're dealing with a weakness, that says, you don't have what it takes to do this. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. It doesn't matter how many times you fail. It matters how many times you try. People who have overcome addictions, they have a saying. They say it in Celebrate Recovery and many other uh, circles of people helping, helping each other through addiction. What do they say? They say, just keep quitting. Just keep quitting. It's hard to quit. You, you might not make it the first time. You might not make it the second time. You don't, don't stop quitting. Just keep quitting. Just because you're facing resistance 
doesn't mean you're not on the path God has called for you. Just because it's not working right now doesn't mean that God hasn't called you to it. Proverbs 24, 16, for though the righteous fall seven times, this, word, this number seven meaning in the Hebrew to be complete, that it, it may take that, that, they, that though you fall seven times, they rise again. And you're going to have what the world calls setbacks and failures and adversity. A moment when it's announced that you're to be king, you're weak and you're soft. It turns out that was the plan. And if we keep getting up, God's plan and purposes will prevail. Don't give up. So what do we need? We need clarity. We need teachability. We need tenacity. Number four, we see the fourth character quality is purity. To keep our hearts pure. I love this charge in verse 19 where David says, Okay, now Solomon, devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Then begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord God. And you'd think with a project this size, he'd say, Man, you're going to need to devote your whole life, your heart and soul, to this temple. But no, what he says is to make sure that as we pursue God's plan for our lives, as we're building that sanctuary, whatever that is in our life, that family, the business, the goal, the calling, the ministry, we've got to continually ask ourselves, am I more devoted to the sanctuary or to the Savior? Because it's easy to get a vision from God and to have a teachable spirit and become very passionate and go out and trying to live for God instead of doing life with God. And it's not what God intended. He wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants to walk with us. At the end of the day, it's important that we know him. The vision, the weakness can become great as a byproduct of living with him. And living with him from that flows clarity, teachability, tenacity, and purity. Let's pray together. Well, I just want to pray today that God would give you a fresh vision for your life. And that's a big statement and a big prayer, but just reflect on what that means for you today. Ask the Holy Spirit for clarity. Maybe he's refreshing a vision for uh, your finances or for your health, for your parenting, for your marriage, for your home. Maybe it's a fresh vision for your business or your ministry or for how you serve him, how you speak to others. Maybe, maybe it's being birthed out of some kind of pain or loss. If you've lost someone and it means a transition, it means a new season. Just surrender to him now. Submit that vision to him. Say, God, I want it to be clear. Make it clear to me in the coming days. And now just ask God for wisdom and discernment. Be teachable. Say, God, I'm willing to learn from someone else. I'm willing to submit to a plan. I'm willing to submit to a person. And now be encouraged by God's spirit that though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. And maybe you say, I've been down this road before. I've tried to, to quit this thing before. I, I've tried to reconcile that relationship. I've tried to overcome these things. It's okay to ask God for help again. And devote yourself to God. If you don't know God, say, God, 
I want to get to know you through Jesus Christ. And God, my sin, it has left me stained and bruised and broken. God, I'm, uh, I'm anything but pure. But I know through the power of the cross and the empty grave that you can purify my life again. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And God, I want to get to know you through him. I give my life to him. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.